Find your feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Find Your Feet podcast. My name's obviously Hanny Alston, and I'm really excited to be delivering this podcast to you today with Yeston Lewis. Yeston has been a wonderful friend of mine um, over the last 10 years and has stood by me through some really great moments on the trails, but also some really tough moments in life in general. Um, I think the thing that I really wanted to bring to you today in this podcast is just the absolute joy that Yeston has for running and for the sport, but also the, the really strong sense of self that you can feel he has and the joy that he has in just being him and being out and doing the things he loves. The other side that really fascinates me with Yeston is that he's a father. He's a very accomplished runner, but he's also a hyperbaric and medical or oh, emergency medical doctor. So he lives a very full, a very complicated life. Uh, and him and his wife and his two beautiful children, who both look like absolute dolls, um, live on a little hobby farm down south of Hobart. So, you know, he, he definitely has a lot of strings to his bow. I guess the thing about Yeston and the type of running he does is that the events that he's picking are enormous. They are multi-day events such as the Dragon's Back Traverse in Wales and the Cape Wrath Ultra in Scotland, uh, anywhere from 300 to 400 kilometres over a week. So to be preparing for these events, given these huge challenges that he has, definitely requires a really strong sense of um, what he needs to do. Not what the science is doing, not what uh, the noise is going on on social media, but what does he need to do and what can he draw from his past experiences? That was really what I wanted this conversation to be about. So today we're delving deep into the psychology of the preparation, the psychology of racing, the concepts around physical preparedness for these big events, but also the challenge that he's had in negotiating his role as a father, a husband, and also as a medical professional. I hope you really love this podcast as much as me. I hope you get a sense of this wonderful friend that has walked alongside me at times, and I hope you get motivation and toes tingling uh, from hearing about his experiences at the Dragon's Back and Cape Wrath Ultra. Finally, too, just a massive thank you to Find Your Feet. Um, I'm really grateful to all of our listeners who continue to support our endeavours there. Um, we're excited to announce that we've been a Telstra Business finalist for 2018 in Tasmania. And, uh, you know, we couldn't be kicking these sorts of goals and exceeding our expectations without everyone's ongoing support. We've also just been through a huge rebranding process and excited to be showing you a new branding look for Find Your Feet that really signifies this concept of being wilder, having that really strong sense of self, playing wilder, love what you do and know what you love doing, and then performing wilder as the ultimate outcome of that journey. Um, so thank you again to everyone. Please continue to support us. Don't forget, you get 20% off your first old, um, order online and you get 10% off as a community member with us. All right, enough from me. Let's get into this podcast with Yeston. Enjoy the journey. suddenly I just get fed up and I just think actually I just need this to be over and I just need to run to the finish and 
suddenly I find that the last 10K goes by really quickly. I just can't create that reliably or recreate that reliably in every race. I wish I could, but yeah, sometimes it's difficult and I just want to finish at that point. But so, I never feel like I'm going to drop out. So why, why do you run and why do you enter these events? Like the why long haul events. Oh, I just thought it was easier than going faster over a short event. I think at some point, I've, I've never, never been an elite athlete. There have been times where I've been quite a good athlete. But the, I don't think I was ever prepared to make the single-minded sacrifices to get faster. The amount of training required to knock off whatever time uh, I was a middle distance runner as a kid. So to knock off the, you know, the, the few seconds here and there, I just wasn't really motivated to do that. That seemed like a big law of diminishing returns to me. And I always loved being in the mountains and I spent a lot of time in my sort of early 20s climbing. Um, and when I got scared of climbing, I drifted back into running and started running um, off-road races and mountain races and I just enjoyed being in the mountain and outdoor environment um, and I still enjoy being in the mountain and outdoor environment uh, and instead of trying to go faster and training harder to go faster I just figured it was easier to go longer and and that became the challenge for me to run further and when I look at a, um, a, a race entry form, I struggle not to enter the, the longest event on the, on, the, on the race entry. Sometimes common sense will come to the fore and I might drop down an event. Uh, I still haven't done a straight 100 mile event. My experience of doing anything that's sort of certainly longer than 24 hours is it takes me a long time to recover. And maybe as I've sort of got a bit older, I've taken that into account a bit more. And I don't necessarily, well, I have to be very inspired to, to do an event that's going to take me many months to recover from. If it's 12 or 15 hours, then I feel a lot better within a week or two. And I feel like I'm running well within a week or two. But once we start hitting over that 24-hour period, then it can be months and months before I feel recovered. And that's a lot of time not running. So then going back mm. to the first one, why do you run full stop? So not, not talking about the ultra events. <laughs> why, why, would you... why do I run? <clears throat> I just like the movement of it. I like the freedom mm. of it. Um, I love running downhill. Uh, particularly technical trails downhill, I just feel I feel like I'm flying, I suppose. Um, I just like the movement on it. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes you feel really good when you do it as well. Yeah. And you have these runs where it's, you know, as if time doesn't actually count. You're just totally in the moment and you're just moving over ground often in beautiful places if you're running trails and you get to do these great walks that people might take days over in, a, in an afternoon or in, in a day 
and you get to go to these really amazing places quickly and conveniently. Yeah, and that isn't an eager thing, is it, as we talk about being able to cover this ground so quickly, but it's such a sense of freedom. And yep. to be able to literally like have some wild idea while sitting on the couch one evening and, and be able to literally get off that couch the next morning and go and do it, like there is something extraordinary about that. Oh, there is. And I just like making these challenges up to, you know, go and run. How many of the trails that, you know, would take a long time to walk can I go and run in in an afternoon um I just yeah it's it's very free to do that but then there, there is a difference between step I'm, I mean I know that you've created some really wild challenges for yourself <laughs> on Mount Wellington you know stuff that the yeah, ordinary person wouldn't even conceive of doing uh, and that's just been a really personal thing. But then yeah. there's that gap towards signing up on an entry form for an event. So, like, what is it? Why would you sign up? Or what is it about that goal of events that you get out? Oh, the reason I enter events is because I'm lazy. It's actually really hard <laughs> to go and put together a really long loop. Um, it's really hard to work out the logistics to get from point A to point B and a race does all that for you. So one of the big things about racing is it's all on a, it's all on a platter for you. Someone else has thought about the logistics, how you're going to get from A to B. They've given you a time to, to start. So I don't have the problem of waking up at four o'clock in the morning and to drive somewhere probably to drive for three hours, to go and run for six hours and thinking it's too cold and wet and it's too warm, I'm staying in bed, which I've certainly done in the past. Yeah. And many of my long training runs have taken a long time to do because I can't bother to get out of bed. Whereas a race, it's an arrangement with somebody so I, and I've paid money, so it's easy to go and do it. Races are convenient and I'm a bit lazy here. So if races have that meaning, which which I actually really love that, um, but who are you racing when you're in a race? Me. You. Me, basically. Um, many of the races I like doing are quite small, low-key events, so it's not uncommon for me to be on my own in the race for much of the day. The first time I did the Overland Track race, I saw some people at the beginning, I saw some people at the end, but for probably eight or nine of the however many hours it took me, I was running on my own. So it didn't really matter whether it was a race. Yeah. It's just about me covering the ground um, as well as I can mm -hmm. and trying to work out the logistics of when to eat, what to eat, uh, dealing with any little niggles um, along the way, so it becomes it becomes a challenge of of eating, I suppose, and um, trying not to fall over. Is that is that what you think about for like nine of those <laughs> so many hours that you're on the overland? Is yeah. pretty much it's when to eat. Do I eat? Should I keep eating? Uh, yeah, I could be better at fueling myself, I suppose. Uh, food is a huge, and fueling yourself and keeping hydrated is a huge challenge in these events. 
and that it's those little things, those lots of little decisions that you may well have thought about in your race plan or you have to adjust uh, while you're running that get you through the race and you make a mistake in one of those little those little details and you can lose two hours in in a race easily it's true isn't it like that was a bit of like a light bulb moment for me because working as a bit of a a coach and also having been an athlete making these kinds of decisions for myself like when we're talking like we always talk about in training that every day you know adds up and those decisions that you make in training and what you fuel and when you go to sleep and they add up and eventually they're the one percenters that can effectively be the difference between like striving and achieving and or not sort of matching your goals but you're right in these longer events there are all these micro decisions that we're making almost on a minute basis through what can be up to like a 16 hour or for you doing cape wrath it was 59 hours and 38 minutes like that's if you think of all the micro decisions you make in nearly 60 hours of racing you're right that if you make a judgment an error of judgment in the middle there in a few of these microseconds effectively you could be making massive like repercussions in the way that event pans out for you oh it's it's all about the little decisions and trying to get those right it might be you know a, a navigation error, a shortcut, a, a, an indecision. And it's the indecision that can really, really cost you. Do you go this way? Do you go that way? Do you commit to that particular route? Uh, and certainly I've committed to a route and then decided it's wrong and had to go back and there you go, there's another yeah. hour lost. But that's also when you come down to things like nutrition. It's like, oh, do I have a gel yet? Oh, do I wait? Do I not? Do I... Mm, uh, and then 5, 10, 15 minutes go past. And if you needed that gel when you had that first thought yeah. and 15 minutes have gone past, that can be a huge hole that can potentially you know, be a big repercussion a uh, little bit later. Absolutely. The It's particularly in the latter parts of a race where you don't really want to eat and you don't and you suddenly find you have no energy, it's quite difficult to come back from that. Mm. Uh, you suddenly find that you're completely flat and you're eating everything you've got, but it'll take an hour for that to kick in, and that's an hour of lost time that you, you can't make up. Yeah. The same goes with trying to keep warm, <clears throat> whether to put you know clothes on or not, because as soon as you start getting a bit hypothermic, um, you start making bad decisions. Yeah, and I was going to ask that. Like, so how much of it is a lack of knowledge? Maybe, you know, something that later on you reflect on and go, nah, you know, I'd, I'd thought that through before, but it probably wasn't the best strategy. I Therefore, I need to change the strategy. Or how much of that making poor decisions on a micro basis in an event comes down to just the brain and the psychology and the approach and the stubbornness and those sorts of emotional factors. Can you rephrase that? Question? So how, how many of the, the challenges or the micro mistakes that you make in events would come down to a lack of skill or a lack yep. of knowledge versus more like the stubborn mule, the, <laughs> the donkey that's like, I don't need to do that. And, it, and you're changing tact even though you know better. I think many of those decisions you get, well, hopefully, if you're learning from your mistakes, you get better at over time. 
and they're decisions that you probably need to learn for yourself mm. because particularly the idea of you know am I cold am I do I need to put on clothes do I need to eat some of those decisions particularly um, regarding taking your pack on and off and putting clothes on also cost you time and you can spend a lot of time faffing around which loses you time versus do I just run through this and this storm that's just hit once I drop down a hill I'll be warm again do I lose time putting clothes on or do I run through it they're difficult decisions to make and even if you're experienced sometimes you're going to get that right sometimes you're going to get that wrong Hopefully, the more you do it, the better your judgment is at um, making those decisions. The same with eating. I think you need to have, you know, it's all very well going out and buying 20 gels for a 15-hour event, but by hour six, you're going to be pretty sick of those gels. So you need to have sort of experience both in racing and training to have worked out what's the best nutrition for you and that's going to vary through the race and with the distance of the race and I think that's quite an individual thing I think that a lot of that just comes from experience yes you can get a lot of information from other people and from coaches and from reading online but the actual with food I find that certain flavors I don't like at different parts of the race and it will depend on the day so I've usually learned from running out of food before that I will overcarry food and I have way more food than I usually need so I've got a bit of variety so at some point where I think there's no way I can eat this you know this particular muesli bar I can pull out something else yeah Um, huh interesting so are you pretty comfortable in yourself like you mentioned that there is a lot of advice that's out there for people to draw from and that's athletes but it's also in any walk of life like there's just a plethora of stuff available to us with the internet especially at our fingertips yeah are you pretty comfortable in yourself or do you find that that outside noise filters into your thoughts and decisions on a daily basis i think i'm pretty comfortable in myself i will filter some of that information some of it I'll just consider background noise some of it depending on the source of the information I will will use and maybe experiment with sometimes I will just stick to to what I've been doing and try and adapt it um, to maybe work better for me or I will find over time that I'll something that I've been using for a while I will will stop using and move on to something else um, you're right, there's certainly a lot of information out there and trying to work out what works for you is, is quite difficult. And also what works in the particular event you're doing. So events that I've done in Australia, for instance, you need, it's, it's warmer, the sun's out more, you're likely to sweat more, your salt requirements are quite different from running in you know, the north of Scotland mm-hmm. where it's going to be much cooler and certainly on if the weather changes there you need to adapt to that and it's quite interesting having seen lots of local runners there not used to having a warm sunny day and they're not making up their salt requirements and so they're running into into problems so i think you have to be quite adaptable to your environment 
and the race that you're doing or, or even just the challenge that you've set yourself. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that statement. It's quite interesting that, you know, it sounds like you're that sort of character that can can be open to new ideas but can also be quite comfortable in saying, no, you know, this is me, this is how I work, I know myself best and you're happy to keep coming back to that person. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Have you always been like that? Um, or is this something that you've sort of fostered over time? I suspect it's something I've probably fostered over time, but I've always been certainly running-wise quite comfortable um, with with what I've been doing. And that whilst I've learned some things from other people, a lot of it has been just trial and error, and getting stuff wrong, and getting lost, and <laughs> and 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 getting out of that situation, and trying to you know complete an event or a challenge. Yeah. Because we've been talking around the edge a little bit, but um, you obviously work as a hyperbaric medical professional and in emergency at the moment, is that correct? Yeah. 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 And anything else that you have on in your professional world at the moment, Fiesta? Oh, I suppose most of the time um, I work in, as you say, the emergency department as a, an emergency medicine specialist. I also do, um, for part of my job, the, the hyperbaric and diving medicine and complex wing care. Um, I work as a, a mentor, an international mentor to emergency physicians in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. Um, uh, and try and... Uh, the emergency medicine in the Netherlands is quite different to here, and mm. they're arguably about 25 years behind. Um, in what they're doing there, so I work with. Excuse my ignorance, but why would that be the case? They so emergency medicine is a relatively new specialty. It's hmm. about thirty-five years old in Australia, um, and it's in many other parts of the world, particularly even in developed countries um, in Europe. You would turn up at your emergency department, and you're not seen by a specific emergency doctor and an emergency specialist team, you somehow just get channeled to uh, a subspecialist. I'm not entirely sure how that, how that works, but if you come in with chest pain, you'd see a cardiologist. Uh, but not all chest pain, for instance, is actually heart-related, which is where the emergency medicine model comes in. And they're trying to develop that in the Netherlands at the moment. So I, I mentor some Dutch emergency physicians to improve their skills and discuss about the problems um, which are, are universal. So mm. uh, having too many people in an emergency department, uh, trying to get flow through an emergency department, many of those problems, resources are, are universal. So we discuss those ideas. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating that it's only 35 years old because it's not like emergencies are 35 years old. Like, no, <laughs> it's no, almost like, all. you know, you would think almost it should have been the specialty that developed first <laughs> and everything. Anyway. Um, and your other role at the moment is a, as a dad? Yes, yes. Kids. How I old have, are they now? They are five and seven. They're beautiful. They're like they dolls. Are. They're they just are gorgeous girls. Yeah, yeah. Fabulously adventurous girls. And, yeah. And your yeah. wife, Rachel, is a nutritionist or a dietitian. She's a dietitian. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. So yeah. working, is she working at the moment? She's not working at the moment. Yeah. No. So a bit of, bit bit of time, of time there. Yeah. I guess like why I'm bringing these up is I'm really fascinated. Like we're talking a bit about 
you know, the comfort that you have in yourself and the decisions that you're making within a race about what works best for you with a bit of trial and error. But I sort of get the sense, having known you for quite a long while as well, that you are someone who's also quite comfortable in yourself on the outside of your running and therefore the decisions that you're making around, like, the way you train for these big events. Because how do you how do you approach that juggle between you know full time work a dad a wife um, a husband to your wife and then trying to yeah train as well yeah it's well it's there's quite a lot of things there um, it's quite difficult um, I certainly haven't got it right all of the time uh, and certainly you know stuff has been neglected uh, in the past. I think at the moment uh, it's certainly balanced quite well, uh, and in the last six months or so, I think we've yeah we we have managed to find a, a really good balance. Uh, I think that trying to fit that training in is quite hard, and it's it's trying to make time for that that doesn't affect anything else, which which means kind of being efficient, I suppose. Uh, I spend a lot of time and in the run-up to the Cape Roth Ultra, which we've sort of mentioned, um, which I did recently, I spent a lot of time getting up at five o'clock in the morning to train before work uh, and going to bed early. And going to bed early is actually probably quite easy. I think certainly I'm, I'm guilty of spending a lot of time floating around in the evening watching television when I you know, probably should just go to sleep and... And, and get up and train. Uh, I certainly find it easier to, to train early in the morning. Uh, by the time night time comes and it's, you know, we've had dinner and got the kids to bed, it's quite difficult to go out, to put a head torch on and go out, go out running. Uh, I really just want to go to bed at that point. I've just eaten, I find it, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult. Whereas getting up early is, is a bit of a chore, particularly in winter, but it's it's much easier to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a good bulk of my training I was put in then, uh, and then other times, thankfully, I'm a shift worker, which does give me time off during the week, or I work evening shifts, which means I can use a morning or uh, a day off during the week to to do some of my longer runs. And we often plan weeks in advance. On this day, I'm going to do a particular very long run, and I'm I will be out for the day. And yeah. They're often midweek, so I'll find a day that the kids are at school or. Yeah. Yeah. When you said like you've made <clears throat> errors in the past, or you didn't quite get that balance right in the past, and something got neglected, what what would be the first thing as an example that would get neglected in your world if you're out of balance? Uh, sleep. Um, I think, yeah, uh, trying to trying to get by on sort of five hours sleep. Um, probably, certainly not spending enough time with my family. That mm. you know, you've gone off on training. I'm training. You're using training as an excuse, and not spending enough time at home. Um, some of the work things. I'm usually pretty good at not neglecting any of any of my work commitments, but sometimes you're you find that. Certainly, some of the the stuff I do out of work professionally it probably gets neglected a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, but and I think the big thing is 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 
is neglecting sleep. Uh, and I suspect many people are guilty of that, and that's actually quite counterproductive. Yeah. Really. Do you find that when you get in, when you fall into that trap of a little bit of neglect starting to creep in and, and training to try and take a bit of precedence, do you feel that it almost is a bit of a rat race at that point? Like you get into the habit, and it's really hard to break out of that psychology of like more is better, or you know, I'm juggling. Do you, there's almost an adrenaline I sometimes find that comes in that state. I think I think that's true. I think it you, you get quite stressed and quite concerned that you're not doing enough, which pushes you to do more, which is often quite counterproductive. Mm. Um, and interestingly, I heard the other day that cortisol um, really increases sensitivity to pain receptors. So yep. even niggles that you might have in a, in a non-stress state where you don't even notice them in a stress state, you can actually really feel that niggle more. So you become a bit more like, yeah, susceptible to pain in those times as well. Mm. Certainly, certainly, I would think that's true, uh, particularly when you're not actually, actually training. Mm. Um, but I think you also probably get, when, you, when you're very stressed, you start doing things like not eating properly and... Mm. And yeah, you might lose a bit of weight and get at some you know minor improvement in performance temporarily, but ultimately it's just a highway to injury and being dissatisfied with everything. I think. So the prepper, we we've sort of again dabbled a bit around the edges of like there's been two pretty big events that you've done over the last three year period. One being the Dragon's Back Traverse um, yeah. in Wales, and then. This last year, gone, you did Cape Wrath Ultra yeah. in Scotland. Yeah. Um, so for people who probably don't know a lot about it, the Dragon's Back Traverse is around 300 kilometres. It is. Traverses yeah. the spine of Wales. Is that correct? That's that's correct. It's uh, there's a mountainous spine. Uh, yeah, down the middle of Wales. Uh, it's pretty steep, pretty rugged. There's not many tracks, um, and it's one of those mountain races that sort of has a lot of mythology about it. It was first run uh, about 25 years ago, and it was very futuristic at the time. And it's... Futuristic being... I think there's a lot of races like that now. Uh, but whereas in 1992, when it was first run, it's, there was the odd you know, two-day uh -huh, two event. Yeah. Uh, ultras were... Obviously, ultras existed, uh, but they were a very, very niche sport. Uh, everyone in it was considered pretty much mad. And this particular race was just deemed very, very difficult uh, with lots of people failing. And once it was run, it was just kind of shelved until a, a friend of mine, uh, Shane Ali, who is an events organiser in the UK, resurrected it. And I was unable to do the 2012 race because I was doing all my professional exams that year. But when the 2015 race came round, I was pretty excited to do it. And it was something that certainly Shane and I had been talking about for uh, probably the, maybe even 10 years before he even resurrected the race. We knew about the race. It's was sort of legendary in its difficulty. 
And so it was something I was very, very motivated to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was totally immersed in training for it. I spent about 18 months slowly building up my, uh, my mileage. I did a lot of off-road runs. I would have periods where I would you know, try and run maybe a marathon a day for three days, uh, all off-road. So I was, I was pretty prepped for it, or at least I thought I was. Um, I did, totally brutal. I did read somewhere that going in, you said, I think it was even to the, to the media down here afterwards, yeah. that going into most events, you knew that you were reasonably likely to finish. But yeah. this one, you actually had no idea, despite all that preparation. Yeah, when the race ran in 2012, they had a 66% dropout rate. Right. Uh, many of those happened on the first day. Cool. Now, I knew the course on the first day because I've, I've run it several times. Um, it covers all the, the peaks in North Wales that are over 1,000 metres. Um, and I've done that a few times as a, as a long day out, but that's just the first day. And in fact, that's probably one of the shorter days on the Dragon's Back. But it's got about four and a half thousand metres of ascent on it. Uh, and then you had to follow that up with four more days that were all equally brutal. So, yeah, I had no idea. There was a good chance that I wouldn't, wouldn't finish this event. Uh, I was pretty determined to finish it. And I remember sitting at the briefing and yeah, Shane, the race director, said, half of you will not finish. And you're kind of looking around wondering who isn't going to finish. Yeah, and I was wow. pretty determined that wasn't going to be me. I was pretty determined that I would finish this race. But there's so many things that can, can go wrong on a race that is mostly off track. So you're navigating. Uh, you've got... Uh, time cutoffs and many time cutoffs are sort of almost academic because I feel that I can get through them but these time cutoffs were potentially going to be quite tight for me uh, and then there's just the injury potential of running over really rocky ground for 300k it's yeah. really easy to lose concentration and uh, have a big cut have an injury and certainly one of the race leaders on day two, we came across him and he had a huge, probably 20 centimetre gash down the front of his leg where he you know, cut himself on a rock and his race was over. So there's, there's a lot that can go wrong, even if you're really fit and even if you can navigate really well. So if you were able to now, oh wise yesterday, <laughs> post these two events, look back to naive yesterday training for <laughs> the Dragon's Back, maybe let's say you're a year or nine months out from the yeah. event, what advice would you be giving to that person now watching him train now? Uh, I think I'd be doing a lot more remote running. I think that would be be one one thing. So, and Tassie's great for doing remote running. You can, you know, go in and out of Frenchman's Cap. There are plenty of trails on Mount Wellington. So I'd be doing some big days out. Doesn't matter whether you run them or whether you walk them. I think you just need to get used to being out for 12 or 13 hours a day. And the other thing would be 
you need to do back-to-back -back days. You need to go out and you need to run, or you just need to be out for nine or 10 hours a day for three, or even if you could fit it in four days, I think. And doing a couple of blocks of that would actually be really good preparation for doing a multi-day expedition ultra. But I'm curious because when you did Dragons back in, was it 2015? Yeah. Um, your kids would have been quite a lot younger yeah, at that time. <laughs> so how did you juggle that responsibility of being a dad with young kids, um, a husband, <laughs> working, training like that? Was that a tight juggle? That was time? that was a tight. Yeah, it it was it was tight. Um, I think we just moved house as well, so uh, there was quite a bit going on. It was really difficult, and certainly, I. It's quite difficult to get those back-to-back, back-to-back days in. I think I managed one or two blocks of that. Mostly, it was running on my my days off. Um, if I had an evening shift, I would run for the entire morning and then go to work. Um, yeah, that wasn't easy, and people probably think I run, you know train 20 or 30 hours a week I probably on, on a good week I might manage to get 15 hours in on a it's pretty less, big still though on a less yeah. good week that might only be eight or nine hours yeah that's still it's pretty still... good I mean yeah I was about to say like the you know the elite marathon runners are spiders so they've been yeah. that 10 to 12 hours but I guess that's 42k and this is 300k so yeah. there's, <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference in, in the end result but maybe maybe so how important is your wife's role in your support team as you start preparing for these events? And Oh, very. I mean, with, without her support, they, these things wouldn't happen. Um, these two events, yes, there were other things that took me overseas, but I was away for three and a half weeks with the Dragon's Back and I was away for essentially four and a half weeks with this Cape Roth Ultra. So that's, yeah, her being happy for me to do it is, is one thing because, you know, I'm away for, for weeks at a time. Uh, she's pretty supportive on providing I've planned ahead on the days that I go running. And she's, she's quite happy for me to get up at five o'clock in the morning. She's not a morning person, so it, it doesn't bother her whether I'm training first thing in the morning. It does bother her if I'm away for, you know, lots of weekends or lots of days and, and I don't see her. And that's something I've certainly neglected in the past and um, we've got a lot better at mm. recently. And we've started, now the kids are a bit bigger um, and sort of in school we have, I suppose, a bit more free time. Um, so we've been doing sort of more walks and, and runs ourselves. So we actually plan that in now as nice. well. Yeah. So. Yeah. It is, it's an interesting arrangement. I asked these questions because our last podcast we did with Justin Jones, who yeah. is the adventurer, the North Face adventurer and his wife, Lauren. And it was really interesting watching. I mean, obviously the sorts of things he's doing, he could potentially be away for three, six months yeah, a year. Indeed. 
But it was still really interesting, you know, him really grappling with this role role as being a dad and, and a husband and how he can involve his family in what he loves doing and he's sort of flipping almost more towards like everything needs to involve them and I sort of feel eventually he'll probably find that happy place in the middle where yeah. there'll be some for him and some for family. But I get this, I mean, I don't yet have kids, so but I get this understanding that it is very much a fine line that you're walking in there. I think it's really, it is really difficult um, and certainly... I have grieved for my old life at times where you've got that freedom to just take off. Mm. And and I, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty comfortable where I am at the moment, but it took a long time mm. to, to reach that place where particularly if you're used to doing sports, which take you away for long periods of time, this isn't, you know, two hours down the gym, you know, running around Mount Wellington can be, can be hours going to run Frenchman's Cap or the Overland Track, you know, takes you away for a day at least, uh, and depend that just depends on you know getting in and out. And if you're used to doing that, and that's a big part of who you are, then suddenly having children can be can be quite difficult. And and I'm, I'm probably not alone in you know grieving mm. for my own my old life, but. I think I've now the kids are, are bigger. It's certainly easier, and but it's taken me a while to 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 accept some of those challenges. How much of that grieving process is like actual um, work, like focused work at working out who Yeston is in his newer world and understanding your values, or how much of it is almost letting go? and just being mindful does that make sense i think it's a bit of both i i think you actually have to make or for me i had to make an active choice that this was my new life and meant you have to yeah mm. <laughs> you better accept that and make the most of it yeah. and and make a choice to to enjoy it and um, and work out how you can fit in doing the other things that you like um, and yeah just being efficient with your time so now the kids are bigger you know we'll I wouldn't say we're quite at the stage where we're doing family trail runs but certainly uh, Rach may run and I'll take the kids and we'll go and run around some trails and explore on the mountain and you know, my youngest seems to have a, a, a particular habit of trying to climb up the chimneys of all the huts on the on the mountain. <laughs> so, but we, but we go and it's explore really things and, <laughs> and climb on rocks and and run around for as much as they you know they want to do. Yeah, so. it sounds like I mean, if it's, if it's anything like I, I mean, like I say, I don't have kids, but in some ways, like having a business and. And supporting all the team that work with us and alongside us and even, you know, just your, your immediate family with parents and brothers and, you know, watching them have children and stuff. Like, I guess your world does start to change a bit and as you grow up, you do start to develop more responsibilities. But I sort of feel like, for me, the, the change that's had to happen is a little bit more patience and realising that some days you can't have it all like now like you used to. Like you say, you used to be able to drop everything and just go... <laughs> I think you do need a bit more patience and 
I think coming back to that training thing where you just want to train harder all the time and train more, you just have to accept and that you can go out and still have a good time and still be active um, whilst, you know, taking your kids out. Or when, I, when Rachel and I run, we may only do 15 kilometres and that's okay. I still get to do 15 kilometres uh, that I otherwise wouldn't have done. Um, but yeah, that's accepting that that's okay and I don't need to go out and run, you know, 40k today. So when you go to these big events like Dragon's Back in Cape Wrath, what's your definition of success when you get there? Because I guess you're putting this in the perspective of your whole world, which is with these extra um, commitments and expectations around you. I just want to finish. That's it. That's if, if I can finish reasonably well and reasonably intact and feel like I'm running reasonably well, then then that's fine. Obviously, you, you, you look afterwards and think, oh, could I have gone like, you know, half an hour quicker on day two and that would have bumped me up two places. There, there are those thoughts. Most of the time, I don't even look at the results of races I've done. Um, I, there's a whole bunch of races I couldn't tell you how, how well I did in because I, I seldom look at the results. Uh, sometimes, on a very rare occasion, I do well uh, and it's obvious but most of the time I've got no idea. Um, so for me, a successful uh, event is to finish and to finish feeling reasonably good. You have those days and certainly uh, in the middle part of uh, Cape Roth, everyone's got tendonitis and everyone's got swollen feet. and It was just so sore. And then uh, having and I was, you know, reluctant to take any painkillers because I've had some problems before doing that. But once I had, and I was able to run a bit more comfortably, I felt good, and you know, and that's their their successful mm. successful days, feeling that I'm running reasonably well <clears throat> and finishing. And if you take success out of the running world and into your other world, um, what does success look like to you out there? Say in your working career or home life, like what does success mean for Yeston as a person? Oh, just I suppose enjoying, just enjoying being where I am at that moment. Yeah. So in some ways it's kind of similar to the running world. Yeah, yeah. It's a big if, um, if it's, yeah, it, I don't mind things being difficult. Um, but it's just being just being comfortable where I where I am, I suppose. I love that. Oh. So when you going through Dragon's Back, you sort of said that you prepared as best you could. When you got there, was the challenge more mental or physical in the end? Um, both. I think. I mean, if your body's working well and it's you know not tired and you're feeling good then it's easy. It's when it's, you know, it's tired, bits of you are swollen, that, and, and it's difficult to, you know, every step is might be slightly sore or painful, then, then it becomes mental. Um, so it's both. I mean, if you're, if you're, you're always, if you didn't ever get tired, then it would be really easy. But unfortunately, you know, we all fatigue and, for most of us, tendons aren't meant to, you know, 
keep you know move 12 hours a day for five or eight days and they get inflamed and therefore it's painful and just trying to push through that and I'm not saying that this is good for you but just trying to push through that is is very very mental how how did you see other people coping or not coping with it have you any stories from that experience um some people just seem to be better at tolerating pain um one of the front runners in the dragon's back i remember seeing him on day four uh, day three and i remember going into the medical tent that that night and i was chatting to to the doctors there and he came in and he had the most horrific tendonitis that I'd seen. And there seemed to be a degree of sort of hemorrhage in some of his tendon sheets. His legs looked awful. And the next day, a couple of hours in, all of these events are variable start times or these big events. So the slower you are, the earlier you start. And he flew past me on a fire trail, probably running four, four and a half minute Ks 20k into you know day four and he must just tolerate pain better than I do I think uh, the people who do really well can can tolerate can tolerate pain and I, I suppose a positive about it you know it's going to end eventually if every time you fall over that's the end of your world in one of these events then you you know you're going to struggle and not not do very well if every time you fall over, you just bounce back up, then you're, you'll do better. You'll do better. You have, to, you have to be really positive and just embrace the whole experience. It's going to end. You choose when it ends. But if you really want to finish, you have to be pretty positive, I think. Where do you think you sit on the spectrum of people? Because I remember reading this really cool race report that someone had titled the glass half full kind of race. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> that was talking about the Cape Wrath Ultra, which is 400k over, over eight, eight days, days and has yeah. 11,000 metres of vertical climb over it. Yeah. Um, and it finishes up on the North Atlantic Ocean at Fort William. Uh, oh, and, Cape Wrath. Oh, Cape Wrath, sorry. Starts yeah, at Fort starts William. at Fort William. Um and I was like, what, you know, what do they mean by a glass half full kind of race? And then she was saying that there are some people in that race who, who fall down and bounce back up and go, whoa, check out the view. And then there are yeah. others that, you know, you go past and they just want to tell you all their pains and aches and how cold the rivers are and how lost they got and they don't see the, the beauty and the positivity in what they're doing. So I... Whilst I'll have my dark moments in, in any of these events, um, I think I'm usually pretty positive. Sure, I'll probably fall over and swear a lot and get back up and look around and you know see other people and smile and keep going. Um, I think you have, thriving on that kind of adversity is, is a very is a very positive thing. In those kind of events and it's probably the only way that you're you know really going to get through and enjoy it because you know you've potentially traveled a long way and paid a lot of money and many of these events are not in Tasmania so you would have paid a lot of money and traveled a long way and you're there to enjoy it so you need to kind of choose to enjoy it <laughs> otherwise you probably shouldn't be there because you're right it is a choice yeah at the end of the day it is a choice absolutely yeah. no one's forcing you to do these things yeah so what's maybe the one 
one take home that you took off Dragon's Back and carried with you to Cave Wrath? Like the biggest thing that you had learnt? I think the thing that surprised me about the Dragon's Back, and, and you, uh, you might have mentioned, uh, I think I ran my race time, I was 63 hours. But in actual fact, it felt to me like my race time was the full five days. It's all about preparing for the next day. So I would come in um, at the end of each day uh, on the dragon's back and you have to have, all you want to do is sit down and do nothing. But what you have to do is you have to firstly get warm. You've been out on the mountains all day, you've used a lot of energy, you're going to get cold really quickly and you can't let that happen because if you get cold then you won't do anything, you won't eat properly, you won't prepare your gear for the next day. So you have to get warm and then you have to go and eat and then you have to go back and you have to prepare your gear for the next day because you're going to be getting up early you don't want to be faffing around, you want to try and sleep as much as you can. Uh, so you need to prepare for the next day. Then you probably need to eat some more and you need to look after your feet. Um, it's You'll see people with all sorts of blisters and it's they're the things that are going to get you down. You know, you can, you can fall over and cut your arm, do all sorts of things to yourself, but if your feet don't work, then you're not going to be able to continue or it's going to be a really unpleasant experience. So it's all of that preparing, I think, that was really important. And that was one of my focuses going into the going to the Cape Roth Ultra, um, and, and which made it a lot easier. And so which out of these two would you say is most important, fitness or experience? I think you need both. Uh, fitness is only going to get you so far. There are plenty of really, really fit people out there uh, that won't finish because they don't have the experience or the mindset to to get them through. Fitness is, in some ways, is actually quite easy to develop. Uh, gaining the experience and having the the right mindset is potentially much more difficult. Mm. Do you think that we need to train the mind or do you think you just need experience? Um, I think I think you need the right motivation going in into the event really. Um, I think that's the key thing. Why, why are you doing the event? And if it's, if it's just because your friend is, then, you know, you might struggle a bit. You, you, I, I find being really passionate about the event and getting through and going to those areas quite motivating. Mm. And and my you know what are my reasons for for, for doing the event? Um, so I think and and wanting to finish. You're not there to attempt, you know, make an attempt on this race. You're there to do the race. And I think if you're not there to do the race, then you set yourself up to fail. An attempt allows allows you to fail. I love that. I mean, to me, that's probably 
of all the conversation in some ways that's for me the most profound because I really do believe that too many times if you ask people why they're doing something they're not really sure yeah you know, yeah oh just just because like or you know because a friend's doing it that fear of missing out that this is what I've always done this is what I all I know this is how I identify myself but at the end of the day it has to be a deeper reason than that and then you need to still make sure that when you get there you emotionally check in for that race yeah you well. you you really do have to be totally engaged in in the race it was the I remember sitting in that briefing in the Dragon's Back and and oh, this is incredibly selfish. I was either finishing that race or coming off in a helicopter. <laughs> there was, you know, there wasn't really any in between. I was, you know, this was something I had thought about for the best part of a decade or, or 13 years, I think, since I'd first heard about it and read about, you know, read about the race. This was something I had been, you know, preparing for and thinking about for years. So, you know, I wasn't there to have an attempt. I was there to complete the race. But I get the sense that you're not trying to complete it to be a better person or to be a better you or a better Yeston. You're, oh. it, it's just something that's totally making your toes tingle. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah, doing these events don't make you don't make you a better person, they don't make you cooler, they yeah they won't fix whatever you're running from. Uh, there's a good chance you will have a big crash after doing an event like this. You know, you've put all your energy into it and you get a little trophy at the end and it's over. And you know, there's no dramatic life-changing impact of doing any of these events. Once they're over, they're over. Um, so, you know, I certainly don't see them as any kind of search for any higher meaning at all. Um, yeah. And, and afterwards can be quite difficult. You might find that you it takes a long time to recover. Um, I'm not quite sure how long it took to recover from the dragon's back. I feel it took maybe three or four months. My wife will tell you it took a year. Uh, certainly many people take many, many months to recover from these events. And that's time you can't run. That's time you might go out running and you'll just feel exhausted. Yeah, you have to be aware of that downside of doing the event as well. And it's why it's so important to have such a strong um, sense of yourself when you're not running, when you're not a runner. Yeah. It's like you have Yeston and then you have this hobby that you love, yeah. even if you're really striving to be good at it. Because you're right, like if that running is taken away, whether that's from the recovery side or whether it's from injury or whether it's from needing to focus on your relationships or work for a period of time, you can't have this loss of yeston and that self-identity in that time. So we talk about it in um, and Find Your Feet as being the underlying thing that we all need before we play and before we perform is a sense of self, a be wilder state, we call it. Yep. That state that allows you to feel empowered and um, strong in your sense of, of who you are as Haniel Yeston. 
then you can play and then you can really work out what you love doing and just be really damn good at loving what you do and then only then do we kind of feel that you really can get to that level of performing wilder i mean i think i think that's right i think if you know you have to be quite comfortable in yourself to get the most out of these events or the most out of running but if you know because you can have bad days running and if you feel that your whole world crashes in because you know you haven't run your local road run you know at the same speed that you normally run it then there's there's some problems there (laughs) yeah and when you put it like that you're like yeah damn right that would be a bit of a problem and you know and we certainly have certainly at times been you know you feel that you're your training isn't going well and your whole world collapses and, you know, that's that's not really a good state to be in. Mm. And it's going to filter into every other arm and finger of your life. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and I feel like, like today is just being such an insight. I think the thing that I feel when I'm around you is that, yeah, you're, you're just so happy being you and doing the things that you love and every time we run together we're – scheming and plotting about where these adventures can go and you can definitely get this real sense and see that you're doing it for all the right reasons and just loving being out in the mountains and running wilder yeah yeah just yeah it's just nice to be outside so one final piece of advice maybe to someone listening who maybe I won't say stupidly, but I will say stupidly, <laughs> thinking, whoa, that sounds fun. Like, I want to have a go at that. What, what's one bit of advice that you would give from Yeston to them? Well, if you're looking for an event, I think you have to find an event that in, inspires you to, to want to do it, not because your friends are doing it or because, you know, it's the biggest event. I think it has to be in a place you want to go and explore. I think it has to be, yeah, an event that inspires you to want to do it and if you can find that kind of event or that kind of an adventure then you know half the battles mostly done mm, agree i think that's a great place to finish thank you thank you